Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Coming at you on a Friday. Joining me now, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, Gus Kattengill. And Gus, we we talked last week on this show. We've talked on your show. We've talked for a while about the trade deadline in the NBA and what the Pels might do. And we talked about C.J. McCollum a number of times. I was all for it. And then they went out and they got it done. Now, I know they lost last night, and he he looked exhausted, understandably so. Uh, they lost to a good Heat team, but, you know, we, we could talk about the game a little bit. But in terms of the current state of the franchise, man, it is um, – ah, let, let's start with the trade. We're going to get to the Saints in a little bit in Super Bowl 56, but when you caught wind that uh, the McCollum deal was likely going down, what was your initial thoughts? Well, it was definitely one that, man, you kept sitting there, Scott, saying you could understand it. You knew there was so much smoke over the last couple of weeks to it. And it was something that I think Pels fans kind of wanted to see. And um, you you could really understand and and see what eventually he's going to be able to bring to this team. I mean, they were deficient in in three key areas, man. And, And, you know, talking to people that covered the team this week and, you know, and really just hearing... Willie Clark, Brandon Ingram, and others talk about it. It's the ability to be able to have a score. And, you know, you look at it, Scott, where um, he's a guy that 34% was what Jake Madison from Lockdown Pels kept going over and over again. And 34% is his range um, on unassisted three-pointers. He's a 40% three-point shooter. His team cannot shoot pretty consistently. I mean, you take a look at last night's game and, you know, I, I mean, look, I mean, we can get into the sport, man, from Jose Alvarado, but when he's your leading scorer at 17 and, you know, he's the second most made threes with three and, you know, Graham with four, you, you just you got to get more of it. Now, you know, I, I know CJ but got in at 12.30 in the morning on Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, however you want to look at it trying to get familiar over it. He still dropped 15, but he was 2 of 10 from distance. And some of those shots that he um, missed, Scott, he's going to make. And that's why you have him. And he's going to be able to create. He's going to be able to bring space. You saw in that game, you know, still Ingram and Graham and, and Alvarado kind of run the offense and show. That's eventually going to be um, C.J. McCollum, but I think when you look at the things that he can bring from the three-point shooting to being able to score by himself, he's a threat when he brings the ball to court, and that a defender has to honor that. You know, and for the most part, when you see a lot of Pell's games, a lot of times they they don't honor that. They're really going to sink in to to P.I. or, you know, Valanciunas and, then you add the other element, that's pick and rolls. And this is a team, eventually, when Zion plays and Valanciunas, you're going to have two bigs that are going to force defenses to decide. I mean, you can literally put them at the elbow, and you can have the ball at the top of the key, and where is he going to go? He can go left, he can go right, and then you're going to have guys like Ingram, and you see Jones continuing to grow with the offensive game, so being able to drive left or right angle, there's just so many more options that yeah. you're going to be able to do. And any other element of it, too, man, is just kind of having that, that veteran presence. You know, a lot was talked about last year with what, you know, Chris Paul 
brought to that team. There's a reason, as you saw on Thursday, why this team also made an offer and tried to get in Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry is another one of those point guards where it's just that veteran presence, knowing how to have been there. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence the Pels released photos on Thursday where you saw McCollum's locker is next to Zion. You know, Zion stuff's all stacked on his chair. And in that locker room, there's an open space, and then to the left of that is C.J. McCollum. I, I think it, it's the bringing in a veteran, bringing in a guy that's been in the league 10 years, bringing in a guy that's been in big games in the postseason, that's played with a superstar like Dane Miller, and, and just a, another presence to already a tight locker room. So, um it makes sense. Obviously, you lose some assets. You lose some guys that really were a kind of foundational part of what this team has been able to, to build as a core. And um, But you're, you're thinking long-term, and these are moves you make with Dion in mind. And, you know, it's a, another topic and another conversation, but, you know, it's, it's a move that, you you hear him himself say on Thursday morning at shooting around that he welcomed and, and looked at and sat with his family and agent and said, okay, if you move me, this is where he would want to go. So I think on a couple of aspects, man, it, it's a move that helps you on the basketball court, as we touched on, three-point shooting, pick and rolls, leadership. It helps you in the locker room, leadership, experience. It also helps you outside the court in just um, respect level. I mean, you know, the day it happened on Tuesday, he got screaming A nationally, saying he was disgusted for C.J. McCollum that he went to this place. Yet you hear McCollum on Thursday say this is where he wanted to go. You hear him say immediately when he starts asking or answering questions, he mentions Willie Green. I mean, Willie Green started coaching in October, Scott. And the fact that his job and this locker room and this culture has already been a talk about the league. You heard CJ say he called Chris Paul. He called other players that either played against or with Willie Green to get an idea. And that it was a reason to take the chance on the Pelicans. That, God, that's something I can't, I can't ever recall to be honest with you. I can't really call players, and you know this, and that's the one national thing where you understand when the national folks say, man, it's a, it's a tough destination place to try to recruit free agents because you don't have the winning, you don't have the pedigree, if, whether it's a coach or whether it's another superstar that you want to play with. And to hear Sage McCollum say, look, I, have you seen Brandon Ingram play? Zion's a big piece. Willie Green's a reason I'm here. I just think that resonates throughout the league for a franchise that's trying to change its reputation, change its respect. I know it's one player. Let's see what happens moving forward. But he's got three years left on that extension. That's a move that you're making that you're hoping will grow your team to another level eventually. Yeah, no, no doubt, man. You know, in terms of last night, you had newcomers. They looked out of sorts. There were some turnovers, and the Heat are really good. But in terms of where they sit in the West or where they sit in the league, you know, a lot of, lot of positivity, obviously, which isn't always the case with this franchise. And 
You look at what Willie Green has done for the culture. You look at Brandon Ingram growing into the leader that he is and sort of taking ownership of this is my team. And you mentioned Zion. Um, You know, he's back in New Orleans, and a lot of people are getting super excited. And it's like, well, you know, let's let's wait and see, you know. I mean, just because he's in New Orleans doesn't mean anything. And then David Griffin said, he used the word anecdotally, like, five times when asked if Zion was okay. Well, anecdotally, yeah, he's, he's feeling good. And I talked to, he talked to Trajan and anecdotally, by the way, folks, if you don't know, the exact definition is, and I quote, according to, or by means of personal accounts, rather than facts or research End quote. Now, you know how calculated David Griffin is when he talks like I, I, I like, I love Zion. My kid, you know, he, he, he's not big into sports, but man, he loves Zion. He draws pictures of him. He rocks the Jersey. He just wants to watch him play. You know, he went to games last year, saw him in person. Like I think any, anybody that, that likes the Pelicans, heck anyone that likes basketball or the NBA, they want him to be able to play. I have been on the side of the fence, Gus, as you know, since November that I just don't think he's going to play this year. Now, there's just this recent upswell in, in good news with the Pelicans trading for C.J. McCollum, right? Um, not giving up. You know, obviously you're going to miss Josh Hart a lot, but, you know, it's Herb Jones, right? Alvarado. You've got some positive things happening with the franchise right now, and then you throw into that, oh, and Zion's back in New Orleans, you know, after rehabbing on the West Coast or in Portland, rather, uh, in, the Northeast, in the Northwest. So, it's like I, I think one positive thing and then another, and there's this assumption that it's a good thing. I don't know, Gus. Like when I hear David Griffin say, "Well, anecdotally, like come on, man, like it just he said they'll give an update in two weeks." I, have you changed your stance on Zion and whether he's going to play this year? Or are you still on my side of the court of look? He's 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 a huge part of the future, but he ain't playing this season. Scott, I honestly don't know what to believe. Um. You know, I'm trying to convey, like, how I take that because, you know, your, your first instinct when you listen to that, and and I, I, I can't stop short of just a simple phrase if I'm just going to be blunt, you know, is I have no idea what the heck that guy just said. And I probably used a lot different language when I heard that. And then I said it was a crock of, you know, what. anecdotally, because like, dude, stop, the, stop the, BSing. the first thing that, that kick that, that, cause it's one of two things got to me and, and, you know, please feel free to change my mind because but this is the problem that it, it comes across at the very least one of two things. Either David Griffin has absolutely zero control on what's happening with Zion Williamson Oh, he's flat out lying to you, and they know what's wrong. They know he's not playing, and they're going old school used car salesman. Where you know, and that's not to insult car salesmen. Not at all. They, they they're afraid that you're not going to buy tickets, and you're not going to be interested, or you're re- you don't want the negative press. I mean, it's it's got to be one or the other. Because if you're going to sit here and tell me that you are the, you know, the you-know-what acronym in charge. Your job depends, his job depends on what happens with this guy and how it's been handled so far. Everyone knows that, whether or not he lasts this year, right? I mean, all the stories of the relationships, what, 
His job depends on it. Um, the future depends on it, on whether or not he's staying or going. What do you get for him? Like, it, it is, this isn't Jose Alvarado, who's been, by the way, a great story. This isn't some, this isn't Nikhil, a late first-round pick that you hope eventually develops into something. This is the number one pick overall in the NBA draft. This is Joe Burrow. This is Baker Mayfield. This is the top player taken, and he's the quarterback, if you want to use an analogy, to an NFL team. For you to tell me that in eight weeks' time, the only information you have is basically hearsay, which you know how that holds up in a court of law. Anecdotally. What you're telling me, yeah, anecdotally. That well, Scott tells me he's doing well. You're, you're, you're in charge. Right. It, 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 it so, I, dude, dude. See, again, I told you I can go off on this because, dude, and I'll keep it to sixty seconds so we don't ruin the entire segment, dude. Because I've I've had it. I was I'll, I'll tell you this. Tuesday when that trade happened on Monday, I opened up the show, and you know I watched the win over the weekend in the, in the way the team was playing, and I actually said, you know what. I almost feel like you stay with what you have. Like, what, what Willie Green's done in those guys in the locker room, they play for another. They care for one another. They could, they could care less about the guy who literally has MIA'd himself. All right? And, and you know how I feel about that. I've come on on Fridays and told you it is an absolute joke that you have foot soreness, and that keeps you away from everywhere. And it always re- but reassured Thursday when literally the guy who's the top dude of your basketball franchise doesn't know he basically told you he hadn't talked to him he hadn't talked to him he hadn't talked to him like that's 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 unimaginable to me i'd have an apartment in portland i'd have a condo in portland i'd be there every friday and i wouldn't know if he can go suicide like he he gave me nothing is he shooting free throws can can he run to the bathroom if he needs to go like he has a stomach bug like i did Can, can does he have to take the elevator not stairs what kind of soreness? Is it swelling? Is it any better or not? How in the bleep do you not know in eight weeks' time whether that guy is progressing enough? And you can't – what is progressing? What is progressing? What is progressing when you literally told me he can't do anything on it? I, I just – it's not even whether or not injuries heal or not, because you and I have talked about this and you brought up before. Durant had a similar thing. He had to get a second surgery on it and all those things. So it, that, that injury itself – is one where it depends on the player, and yes, his weight matters on an injury like that, but but it, that's one of those things you just don't know. It's not like an ACL or an MCL, yeah. I mean, a guy they, they traded for Larry Nance Jr., it's a meniscus issue, they can clean that up six weeks' time. Like, there's certain injuries that by the procedure and by the injury, I can give you a timetable. These un- This, unfortunately, is one, you just don't know. I'm not even that ticked off about that. I'm more incredulous of the fact that the guy responsible for the franchise basically sat there and told you Thursday, I'm relying on somebody texting me on how that guy is doing. I mean, you're married, I'm married. Can you imagine if that's how I talk to my wife? Well, Scott, why don't you go ahead and text you know, my wife and tell him I'm doing fine. I, I, I love Carver, you know, wish I was there. Like, that's incredible to me. That dude should be either, first off, I, I don't agree with him being in Portland. 
But if he's going to be there, okay, you have other people, David Griffin, to run the operations here. That guy should be over there at least one. They have a private jet every Friday. Go have lunch and dinner. If your relationship is so strained, this is a perfect time. Eight weeks to go to go get to know him better. Watch games together at a Buffalo Wild Wings or pizza joints if he likes pizza. And and look at rosters and games and just talk basketball. Like like the fact that you literally sat there and in eight weeks time, well, according to people, he's he's getting better. Are you kidding me? Like I, because it's one or the other. Then either he's essentially been, you know what, and has you know what no longer in control of this kid. In 85 games, you're letting a 21-year-old dictate to your franchise. I just, I, I just, I honestly could not believe what I heard. Yet at the same time, they enabled it. They enabled it. It should have never gotten to that point. You have, you're watching before your eyes a team grow and a groundswell grow, Scott, of fans. I, we, we just named the 11th franchise's head coach for the Saints. And I'm telling you, I can't, I can't go three to five minutes on my show without a phone call, and it's Pelicans-based. Oh, well, I'll get to Dennis in a quick second. It's Pelicans-based, and it's Alvarado. It's Trade Zion. It's I love what Willie Green does. Man, it stinks about heart. This, I, 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 I've never felt this before. And, and you saw it Tuesday. You, you saw it Tuesday. No one has ever seen two players traded that night show up and sit courtside. Wear the jersey Everyone of their hugged. teammate and, like, just. Yeah. It was, it was, hey, it was emotional. Whose jersey was he wearing? <laughs> and, and hearing Brandon talk about it after and then and how Ingram's much they're going to welcome Steve Brandon Jay. In- Ingram, Ingram is, is he's taking the franchise on his back, not just as a player, but, but as a leader. And uh, obviously, you know, looking at the future, it's bright, but where does Zion fit? And if and when he does play, and I don't know that it'll be this season, on the court, you're looking at a, a really good team. And, you know, they got they still got some other areas they need to fix up, but it's, it's kind of the big elephant in the room right now, right? And, um, you know, David Griffin was quick to get on the mic when there was a lot of positive press. Oh, you got the trade, you got the trade. Then you ask him about Zion and... When he just kept dropping the word anecdotally, I was—I I don't know, man. After he dropped it the third time, I just—I just rolled my eyes. I, and I'm, I wasn't there. I'm just no, listening. But I was like, joke, Scott. I, 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 I can't. Like, I, I can't. I want it to work so bad. I, you know, I want Zion to be healthy. I want him to play. I'm sure he wants to play. I know the team would be that much better. But even without him, and even with a three and sixteen start, they've climbed their way into the ten spot in the West, and uh, they'll have the All Star break soon. They'll get rested. And they've got, you know, a, a shooter now, a knockdown shooter, which they desperately needed in, in C.J. McCollum. Jackson Hayes is, you know, I mean, he wasn't terrific last night, but he is playing so much better at the four. Herb Jones is a legit Rookie of the Year candidate. He was a second-round pick. I mean, Jose Alvarado, you know, he's about to go now on the roster and won't be a two-way anymore now that the roster spots opened up via the trades. And he's such a great story. There's just a lot. You said it. There's this positive momentum right now with the franchise, but then there's the big other thing that it's like, man, you know, this, this thing could, this, if this thing went in the right direction, boy, it could take it to another level, but boy, if it's in the wrong direction, it could just keep being an anchor. So time will tell. That's Gus Cat, our Saints and Pelicans uh, correspondent. You know, 
not, not a great night for hoops last night. You know, and over the Cajun, you know, and the Cajuns lost by nine. The women's team was on the road. They lost by one at, on a buzzer beater at the last second. The Pels lost. We're talking about Zion. But I, I don't want to end this segment on the negative note because the Pelicans right now are trending upward. Despite everything we just said and we said about Zion and David Griffin, hearing what C.J. McCollum said, seeing Brandon Ingram take ownership, the four-game winning streak prior to last night, um, you know, all of it, all of it. It's it's not bad. It's good. We're going to take a quick timeout when we come back. You mentioned at the 11th head coach in franchise history, not on an interim basis, head coach, was uh, promoted from within. Dennis Allen's the head coach of the Saints. What about who's leaving? Plus, another member of the Dome Patrol will be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame posthumously, but long overdue. We will get into that as well. The late, great Sam Mills. Don't go anywhere. I'm Scott. That's Gus. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Into the Great Scott Show on a Friday. We're going to talk Super Bowl 56 in a little bit. And uh, Roman Harper, Saints Super Bowl champion, scheduled to join me uh, in the latter portion of the 8 o'clock hour. Bobby Neva, color analyst for Louisiana Raging Cajun Softball. The nationally ranked Cajun softball team begins their season this afternoon over at Yvette Girard Field at Lamson Park. We'll talk Cajun softball with him our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, Gus Cadengill, along with us now that we talk Pels. Let's talk Saints for a moment, Gus. We don't need to spend a ton of time on it. I mean, it's it's Dennis Allen. It's what was expected. I, I, I just want to start with this, though. Good that another member of the Dome Patrol is in the Hall of Fame. Sam Mills, I, I know the Panthers have a statue of him outside the Dome, but he spent a lot more of his – he spent three years in Carolina, you know, as a player. He spent a lot more time with the Saints. But uh, an all-time great linebacker, great in the USFL, great in the NFL. Jim Mora's guy called him one of the smartest players he ever coached. Um, you know, just just terrific, man. And, um, you know, passed away of cancer and uh, years ago. But may you rest in peace. But, Gus, man, Dome Patrol, it was kind of like they came and they went and, and – from a national standpoint, maybe they didn't get the recognition they deserved because they didn't win any playoff games, and it really wasn't the defense's fault. But I think as time's gone on with Ricky Jackson being in the hall, Sam Mills, like it's this is great, man. This is this is I'm, I'm happy mm-hmm. for the Mills family, and he absolutely deserves to be there. It's crazy the impact they had in Carolina. I remember uh, my first year on the same sideline reporter. You know, first time we went over there. Bank of America Park at the time, and you know you you can't miss it. I mean, it, it's right there. You have this bronze statue of a panther, and the only other statue there is him. And um, it's crazy because you know, Scott, I grew up a Saints fan. I mean, I remember the Dome Patrol vividly, and you know, it was just so weird to see him there. And you know, again, the organization was just different, dude, back then. It, it was not one that did everything they could, like you've seen the last 16 years here, to keep its best players, to pay them top money, to um, respect them that way. Um, Credit Sean. 
I remember, again, in 06, when you first got here, you'd walk down the hallway. I mean, I'm not being disrespectful or ugly, but there were a few photos and frames in the hallway that led um, from the media room to the indoor facility that we could take sometimes to the locker room. And I used to call it the Hall of Mediocrity. I mean, I, that's what, what I called it. I mean, it was, you know, a player here and there that you would know if you were a Saints fan, but that was it. And, and that was the only visuals um, that you saw, you know, at all. And I think, obviously, in the 16 years that Sean was here, he made it a point to recognize former players. I mean, it, it, there was no... Former, I, I, again, I roomed with Bobby for years. It, it, if you left the Saints or were no longer a Saint or even were a Saint, it's not like you could just come into the facility or go to practice. And then that just didn't exist. It was never like that. Again, I, I know we remember Tom Benson a certain way now, but I'm just telling you that's not how it was for a long, long time. And that obviously Benson wasn't, you know, in the Mills era and all that to, to an extent to where it was now. But, um, he didn't leave here on good terms and, and it wasn't just on his side, you know, it's just, it's just crazy when you look at it. I mean, I'm sitting there Thursday night and I mean, the, the Panthers social media and reporters, I mean, they celebrated like it was, you know, when Ricky Jackson went in for us, you know, finally, finally, we have, we have a, a saint in the hall of fame and, and that, that's how they view him. They view him as Ricky Jackson is the best way to put it, you know? Um, and, and I always thought that stunk, that not the Saints fans appreciated and knew what, you know, the field mouse would do and all that. But I, I never felt like the organization sort of did to that extent. Um, the Panthers were first to start posting stuff. I mean, it, just, it, it was crazy just to see that last night, man. But, you know, you look at that linebacking core, I don't even know if you say arguably, right? I'm trying to think of a better – Four set of linebackers, dude. Well, in the three-four defense, you're not going to find a better one on a single team. You're not. I'm going to do a statue. Where's the statue? The Dome Patrol should have its own statue in front of them. I think. I think you put it up, man. And uh, you know, Mills not with us anymore. Vaughn Johnson either, sadly. But you know, while Pat Swilling and Ricky Jackson are still here, it would be a great honor. I'm just, you know, for Mills, this was it. I mean, it was his last year of yep. eligibility for the modern era. It took. That's the most interesting thing about the the Pro Football Hall of Fame class is that there were no big names that were like first year of eligibility. You had Demarcus Ware, Andre Johnson, I guess. Some people think Devin Hester. I mean, eh, I'm like, maybe you could put Hester in there. Then you should look at Brian Mitchell a little more close. But whatever. Right. But like, I mean, Tony Baselli. I was like, really, his 16th year of eligibility. Like, I didn't realize he's been out of the league for you know 20 something. Yeah. I, like. What? That's how long it's been? I couldn't believe it. You know, Leroy Butler, uh, Bryant Young. I mean, these guys, Butler, I think it was his 16th year of eligibility. Young is 10th, and Mills is 20th. Like, that's, I don't know. That's got to be the record, like, for most collective years of eligibility together to go into a single Hall of Fame for modern-era candidates, and it's probably not even close. That's interesting to me, but just glad that he got in. And you're right. I mean, Carolina, I think they give Mills the they've always given him sort of the proper uh, even when he was playing right i mean right all the the odes to him you know the homage all of it like he, he he deserved it man and maybe it's just you know when he got to carolina he was kind of the guy and in new orleans he was part of 
the unit. And, you know, since it wasn't a single guy and it was all four, maybe it took the glamour off of one guy getting all the glitz and glam, right? I mean, Pat Swilling was the AF, you know, he was a defensive player of the year in what, 91? I mean, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but like you, you could look at each guy. Vaughn Johnson hit hardly anybody, right? Ricky Jackson is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he had the sack numbers. And Sam Mills, you know, one of the great smart linebackers, you mentioned it, field mouse, people doubted him, USFL, into the NFL. Like, I, I think the fact that as a unit they were so great, it kind of hurt each individual's chances of getting into the Hall early. Now, what's surprising is why it took Mills so long is when he got to Carolina, I mean, I don't remember the other linebackers when they were an expansion team off the top of my head. Maybe a Panther fan does. I certainly don't. I don't remember the linebackers he played with in his three seasons in Carolina. Like, I, you would think that, okay, he had that great run with the Saints. Then he did everything for expansion team that was in the NFC title game in year number two. You would think that that should have gotten him in sooner, right? If he had just done most of his, you know, Ricky Jackson, he went to San Francisco. We won a Super Bowl. Pat's really went to the Lions for a little while. And, you know, they kind of all did their thing. But the glut of the work they did was all in New Orleans. And um, I don't know, man, I, I give, give, them, give them some more shine. Give them their due. They deserve it. And hopefully Mills going to Canton um, posthumously will, hopefully it'll, it'll continue to trend yeah. that way. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, man. I know you're, you got a lot going on, so let me let me let me ask you about the promotion of Dennis Allen. I no one was surprised. I know Eric Bieniemy had a long interview on Sunday, uh, eight hours, and there there seemed to be a little momentum bubbling of maybe maybe they're going in a different direction. This felt like Dennis Allen all along. Um, I know they were rigorous and, and interviewed a ton of people and, and thorough, but. This was this was Dennis Allen's job. He would have had to completely blow that interview to not get it. Will he do good? I don't. I don't know. He's he's got a lot of work to do. Um, this team has some work to do, but I don't know, Gus. There was really to me the bigger surprise is kind of some of the removals and additions to the staff since he has been promoted to head coach, as opposed to his actual promotion. Yeah, and I mean, you go back to Tuesday, you know, he said he was going to do some things that are already in place that aren't broken, and then he was going to put his own stamp on things, and clearly the stamp on things is probably the way Saints fans felt watching the Saints offense this year. Wasn't good enough. (laughs) um, Two underwhelming position groups, receiver and offensive line. See ya. Um, You know, you look at the injuries, and things um, I mean when, when when you let go of the strength of the conditioning coach that's something that you have in your head that you think you, you get what I'm, you know what that, I'm saying that, like, that, now that one really wasn't a surprise I mean it, you know I, I won't right. be we might not even hear about it there's probably some medical staff that's going to be um, different next season as well I'd expect that sure and, and that's what I'm saying it's like look man um, and it makes sense though um, you don't know who your quarterback is this, this isn't you know and you know who your set at QB is, your receiving set. You know, um, if you do decide to move on from Toronto, instead, as we discussed in Friday's past, you know, depending on contract and stuff, then, you know, what what is that line going to sort of look like? I mean, contractually, you're, you're probably not going to move on from Pete. Um, you'd probably make a move there or not. But, look, I mean, it, it, as you, you know, succinctly said, and I've, I've learned from you and actually repeat you, Scott, 
frequently on my show, it's all fine and dandy when you want to get rid of a player. Who are you replacing them with? And I can promise you, on our show, I'm sure it's similar to yours, I can't find very many Saints fans that want to keep Andres Pete, are ready to move on from Teron Armstead, think Cesar Ruiz is a scrub backup at best. Mm. So, but And I get that, but you have to replace now three starters. I mean, it's, one of them is great when he plays. The other is no, is totally can't go. Um, you know overly criticized, and one of them isn't good. But I mean, still, like yes, like who are you gonna are you gonna replace all of that uh, for an O line that struggled this year to begin with for a quarterback you don't currently have on the roster because Taysom ain't gonna be starting next year for. Uh, yeah. he, I think it goes to show you though, like I guess the Curtis Johnson one surprised some folks because you know he had two stints with the Saints and. They did have some success, and this past year it was, you know, I don't know. They just, I thought it was more of a talent issue than a Curtis Johnson thing at receiver. That's just me. And then he, you know, he had time at two laners. So there was there was sort of a, an emotional attachment, I think, for a lot of folks. So I, I kind of understood that. People were dogging the Marone thing. It's like, the guy's been a head coach. Yeah, he was the OC for the Saints, like, a long time ago. Like, it, I didn't think for a second he was going to be the OC. So he's going to coach the O-line. Like, he's great at that and he's been, he's been ahead like that that was I was surprised people were like bagging on that and on the other hand I sort of there was this idea or this belief from some that oh well they're just hiring their friends and, and this is nepotism and this is coaching and and I actually understand that like it would make me worry a little bit and I think you have to look at each individual hire right like I don't I Marone for an O-line coach I mean you could do you could do a lot worse. And, and Sean Payton in 2017, before that season, he did fire some guys, and I'm sure it was really tough for him. Um, and they were friends of his, and they were on the staff. And then he hired other people, and lo and behold, the Saints, you know, it was one of the ingredients, probably the least talked about one, uh, that helped the Saints, you know, win four straight division titles and, and even have a winning record last year despite all of the obstacles that unfolded. I, I, I get that, and I even feel a little bit of it I, I, I was fine with the Marone hire. I get some of the hires. You're like, really? We're just, again, you know. But if you look at any staff, anywhere, college or pro, there's, I mean, who do you know? A lot of, a lot of head coaches, they're not hiring an entire staff of every single, every single coach they know. But I guarantee you there's a coach on that staff that knows that coach he doesn't. Like, it's, mm-hmm. this is how it is in coaching. And you can be critical of it or whatever, but... A, a guy that's a head coach, especially when he's initially taking over, he's he, there's going to be a few a few people on the staff he doesn't know. A few, the majority of it, even the guys he's replacing, he's going to have a history with them one way or another, and that's not uncommon for any football team in the NFL and any college football team, at least at the F, F, the, uh, FBS level, Gus. Mm. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you take a look at some of the guys that he's brought in. I mean, it makes a, a ton of sense. Again, look, John Skinscomb, who we had on the show the week that John Payton walked away, um, you know, called Marone the most influential coach he's ever had. Um, and you brought it up several times. The 2009 offensive line was Best of third, football, yeah. You know? So, and Marone only left because he went to be a head coach afterwards. But 07 08, he was the old line coach. He also, you know, offense coordinator. So, again, 
change or coaching up some of these young guys, it makes a ton of sense. The guy that Sean brought in this year, he had one year experience. I mean, that line was terrible. So uh, it makes sense to bring that in. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Johnny Morton's interesting to me in that uh, I thought you could see a noticeable difference in the receiving core when he was here and then Coach Payton went to Curtis Johnson. Right. thought it did improve. So, right. look, I mean, personnel is personnel. And that's a position group that was, you know, under-evaluated. Again, though, maybe it's, hey, that's Sean's guy. I mean, look, he was on the market for like 10 hours, and the Dolphins are interviewing him for their offensive coordinator position, Curtis Johnson. So, um, you know, that again, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what he looks like. I mean, Thursday night the news came out that um, he – one of the people that's interviewing for the offensive coordinator position is Colts running backs coach Scotty Montgomery. He was on Tomlin's staff with the Steelers, the ECU head coach who was at Duke, most recently the running backs coach, as I said, with the Colts. So I think you mentioned those coaching ties and the names that he's known with different guys. So I think it may very well be somebody that isn't, you know, be enemy or big name offensive coordinator or something and and give them that opportunity to be the play caller and to do that. I, I definitely think like the head coaching search, while Allen, it was his to lose, I think he wants to do and the organization is going to do due diligence to kind of get a bunch of people's opinions as to what the Saints offense should look like moving forward. And where would they go if the organization yeah. said, all right. All right. You want as a quarterback. Where should we go as quarterback and all uh-huh. those things? So it, it is interesting when you look at all the different names, though, especially for the offensive coordinator position, um, because you don't know who your quarterback is. And my, my, I wouldn't even say concern. My, my only thing is I would think you would probably want somebody that has experience um, at that position level or a head coaching level to an extent, because I think whoever that quarterback is, you're, I don't know, are you installing a new offense, essentially? Then if that's the case, you better have somebody that can teach it. Um, you know, be leery of the the guy that I like to say what you see a lot round, round in the league. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, the, the dry eraser board guy, you know, the Joe Brady's. I mean, you know, they, hey, man, I can draw some plays, man, but what is your philosophy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah no, I, was right. a good teacher uh-huh. that makes sense yeah. no doubt it 100% and in this case you know this OC is going to be calling plays whereas P. Carmichael didn't and he was perfectly fine with that so much so that he's like I'll stay but I don't need to be the OC so ESPN Lafayette best ticketed sports Gus Catengill our guest we got to wrap it up Gus Super Bowl 56 this Sunday who do you have in the game and why well, I've been going who day the whole way and, and I've been telling you every Friday why not Remember? That's my phrase. I keep telling you, yeah. why not? Um, you know, you looked at the pressure that they had in that first playoff game. And I, I, I thought, though, they could compete with the Raiders. And they, they won. The Titans were the number one seed. But as I kept saying, looking at the AFC, if that's the number one seed, why not? I, I didn't think that they were that far superior. At the end of the day, your quarterback has to make plays, man. Um and coming out of that game, I told you, going into Kansas City, when you can sack a quarterback nine times, not hit, sack nine times, and that dude with 20 seconds left made 
two plays, one big play, the third Jamar Chase to get you into game-winning field goal range, and it doesn't phase him. I, that's why I just laughed at the national storyline of, oh, he's never played an arrowhead. The noise is going to be – that dude doesn't care. The bigger the game – I think the better he plays, the he bigger is. the moment, the I more. Mean, I, I mean, no, I if, he, it's, he if it's if it's this is what I've been saying all week, and if it's uh, if I hope it's close too, because I mean the last two rounds have been amazing. Uh, you'd hate for the the whole season to end on just a dud, but if it's if it's not a close game, I think it's it's a Rams victory. If this thing is close at the end, I trust the Bengals more than I trust the Rams. I trust. Joe Burrow's 25, it's crazy, more than I would trust Sean McVay or Matt Stafford. I mean, you, you you look at what the Bengals did to come back against the Chiefs versus, you know, McVay and and Kyle Shanahan, who were both really good coaches, but kind of try, almost trying to, who's going to fumble this game away first? Which coach yeah. with these decisions, you know? So if it's close, I'm, I'm taking, I, I think the Bengals win, but. I don't know, man. The Rams, that 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 what's that D line against that Bengals O line? It's it's a bit scary, man. I've been kind of waffling back and forth. So I, I maybe you convinced me. Maybe I'm. I guess I guess I'm leaning toward the Bengals. I guess you've done it. You have swayed me, Gus. But mm-hmm. dang it, I, I hope that's how it goes because that means it'll likely be a close game. And come on, I mean, is that too much to ask? Give us one more great one, guys. In the season on a high. No, and I think the other thing when you look at it too, Scott is. Um, talent-wise, on paper, this shouldn't be a close game, right? I mean, you're looking at the 49ers and, I mean, at the Rams, and they have gone all in, and really their only kryptonite, you know, for a while for a team that's constantly in the 49ers because they could run the football. That's the one thing the Bengals have got to do, right? I mean, if, if, if Mixon and the Bengals can run the football and they stay to it, they got a shot. And here's the thing, Scott, that's who the Bengals are. I know Burrow and Chase get a ton of attention, but they commit to the run. I mean, it. You, if you've watched Bengals games this year, you know, yeah, there's games where Burrow's dropping 30, 40 times, but they will run the ball, and they got to back that can score the deciding touchdown, um, you know, in Kansas City, and the, you know, and also in, 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 in Tennessee. I mean, that, that guy is important. So, uh, again, why not? And, and I, I, I keep going to, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, an aspect that makes sense. They have spoken like, and they play like a team that feels disrespected, not a team that feels like they're happy to be there. And if you watch any of the NFL films, you know, mic'd up segments or videos that the team puts out there, the guys warming up before going onto the field in Tennessee, I mean, their guys, their guys are cursing. Their guys are, like, fed up. They, like, Bengals players – are angry like you know what I'm saying? it's a team that's out to get their respect and and you're sitting there going guys you won two games two years ago relax but that's what burrows brought in there he's brought that swagger to where you got guys like eli apple clowning cities and franchises because he thinks he's good and, and that's what's scary is who's covering cup and and you know beckham jr and and things that nature. But I just, I, I go to the one thing, man, where I know he made the play in Tampa. And, and I know he made the play last week. But at some point, is, is that ball heavier in the hands of Stafford or Burrow? You know, I'm talking about that. It, like, is that, that ball going to be a perfect spiral, man? Because you're feeling that tension playing at home, 
knowing that this is the only reason you're bought, that's the only reason they're all there, like, can you go out there and execute and do that? And that's why I'm with you. It, it, and look, and we saw this last game. It should have likely been 28-10. to 10. I didn't have a problem with the play at halftime by the Chiefs. I mean, that's, that's Tyreek Hill. That's Pat Mahomes. They were unstoppable in the first half. The guy caught the pass at the three against uh-huh. Eli Apple. That's a touchdown nine and a half times out of ten. The guy made the play, you know? If not, it's 28 to 10. But they came out the second half and, and battled back. So I, I, I'd like to say keep it close and have to. I, I just think, honestly, they're going to fight you. So unless it's 25, 30 points, you know, about a half, dude, I'm with you. If this game is close or tied in the fourth, I, I think all of a sudden the pressure absolutely shifts to the Rams. I mean, I and, and then how do they handle it? And all I know is that team's been up and down all year. And Aaron Donald's shown up, and then Aaron Donald has not shown up. Matthew Stafford looks like a bum. Matthew Stafford looks like an MVP. So it, it's really how they play at that moment in that game. They're susceptible to the run. I think you can use their over-exaggeration and over-energy to kind of hurt them as well. Um, you're going to have this guy, Rams, who's been talking for two weeks, that he's the best that's ever been. You know what? Fine. Put him one-on-one with Chase. They can believe he's getting the ball. Because against Kansas City, Jill Burrow took what the defense gave him. He went to Jamar a few times, but he didn't force it. That's something else that really stood out with me with Burrow. If you paid attention to that game, Scott, a lot of times young QBs, Drew Brees, you know, even. I, I can go back to the regular season game against the Patriots that I, I will never forget, where literally Bill Belichick said, we're going to have two guys on Jimmy Graham. Good luck. And Brees kept going to him. And it was incompletions or interceptions. But Burrow, in the game against the Chiefs, he didn't force it, man. He, he was throwing the people. I'm, I'm like, who is that guy? He knows them, and, he, and he's given them their co- trust and confidence. So when you have a quarterback that will find the man coverage, they have a shot. I, I, they, they, just, they legitimately have a shot. And, man, why not? Again, that's what I've been telling you all postseason. I'm not bailing on them now. So who day? Why not? Gus Cattengill has been our guest. Follow him on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17. Check out his show, The Sports Hangover, on, e, on uh, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. Great stuff as always, my friend. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. Enjoy the game Sunday, and um, happy Sam Mills got into the hall, and good talking some Pels and Saints with you, my friend. All the best. Not a problem. appreciate your time as always, bud. Bobby Neva is next. We'll dig into Raging Cajun softball a little bit. Nicely ranked Cajun season begins this afternoon, not too far from this studio, over at Yvette Girard Field at Lamson Park. And then after that, former Saints – uh, former, well, not former, longtime Saint. It's a former, but he's in the Saints Hall of Fame. He's a Super Bowl champion. Roman Harper will be on the show to talk Super Bowl a little bit later on. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Show.